0: at some of the sort of journey towards the cross, journey towards uh, the the culmination of Jesus' ministry. So if you'd like to turn to Luke chapter 19, either if you've got a paper Bible or an app, um, I'm using the New International Version if you want to look at that one. And um, this is the passage of Scripture sometimes known as the triumphal, Entry. It's where Jesus is coming up into Jerusalem ahead of what he knows is going to happen. He knows he's come, coming to Jerusalem for this, this final time, ahead of when he knew he would be crucified. And it's this uh, story of his arrival into Jerusalem. And there's some, I think, very precious things that we can perhaps learn, and I hope God will help us to uh, be personally strengthened in our walk with the Lord and in knowing his heart for us as we look through these things. So starting at Luke 19, verse 28. After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. And as he approached Bethpage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you'll find a colt tied there. It's a foal of a donkey, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Say, the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? And they replied, the Lord needs it. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and your children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. Father, pray that you would help us this morning. We need more of you, Lord. We need your Holy Spirit to help us. To be the one who illuminates the truth, who just turns the light on so that we can see, truly see uh, truth, truly see what you're saying, feel the effects of what you're saying, feel the effects of what you've done for us. And I pray, Lord, in these moments together, just looking at your word, I pray that you'd help each one of us to encounter you in some fresh way. Uh, to be aware of your Spirit speaking to us, showing us things from the Word. Please help us, Holy Spirit. We need your help, and we thank you that you're ready and willing to come to us, to the thirsty, to those who want to know, to those who want to walk closely with the Lord. Thank you that you you are. If you said, if if someone's thirsty, let them come, and out of their innermost beings will flow rivers of living water, the Holy Spirit Himself. So we're thirsty for you, Lord. And we pray that you'd help us together in Jesus' name. Amen. So there's a few things that jumped out at me as I was reading through this and uh, looking at what might be of help to us this morning. And they sort of come one after the other in, the, in letting the, the story just unfold as we as we read it. And the first one is in verse 30 where Jesus says to his disciples, Go to the village ahead of you. And there you will find um, a colt, which no one's ever ridden on it. Untie it, bring it back. If anyone asks why you're untying it, say the Lord needs it. And the first thing to note from this is uh, a colt or a, the foal of a donkey. Actually, um, cult- culturally, it, it would there was a history of, of that being ridden by kings as they came back from some sort of battle campaign, victoriously, they would ride into their towns or villages and uh, it would be a celebration of what God has done. But it's kind of an understated entry, isn't it? It's it's not like on a chariot with great loads of soldiers. It's not on some great white horse uh, where you're sort of obviously outwardly powerful. It's a kind of an understated but nevertheless appropriate reflection of who Jesus was. We find all through his ministry the truth of who he is is displayed by the miracles he worked, by the truth he told, by the power that he brought all around him, touching so many people's lives. And yet, within himself, uh, there's nothing about him that, that, that speaks of that. He, he, he's understated. He's hidden. His, his glory is... Veiled fully from us, it says in Isaiah, doesn't it? There was nothing about nothing about him, visibly, outwardly, that we would be attracted to him. There was nothing visually. He didn't glow in the dark or float three inches above the the ground uh, or you know emit some sort of you know um, aura. If you walked past Jesus in the street, you wouldn't know you'd just walked past God who'd made the whole thing that you're standing on. There was nothing about him. It was veiled, it was hidden. So when he's coming into Jerusalem as the Lord, because he, he's he's kind of saying, you know, tell them the Lord needs it. So he's not hiding who he is. When he uses that word, tell them the Lord needs it, he's displaying, he's, he's authenticating. No, I am, I am the Lord. But he's coming in in a kind of a hidden way, but a way that is true. And that's how Jesus functioned, didn't he? When he healed people, you know, tell them the kingdom of God has come near you. But sometimes he'd say to people, don't tell people, but go show yourself to the priest and then go home. He was always kind of hiding who he was, but demonstrating who he was. There's this is mixture, isn't there? And we might ask ourselves, well, why, why was that? Well, I think it's because Jesus doesn't want to be worshipped because of externals. He doesn't want to physically demonstrate something of power, of glory. He wants his heart and his, his, his um the reality of who he is to be pursued by those who've got a genuine heart for God, to find truth, rather than those who are looking for some sort of um, experience. He's not looking for experiential influence. He's looking for heart connections with people who are genuinely thirsty to know God, which is why he's always understating who he is. He'd often see to, say to people, "My time has not come yet." Now, I, when his his disciples often used to say, uh, "You know, you should go up and overthrow the Romans. Are you going to restore the kingdom of God at this time?" He'd say, "My time has not come yet." He'd hide because he knew there was. Uh, a time when his glory would fully be revealed. Now, it is important we, just to sort of demonstrate that a little bit more, in the epistles, in, in Philippians 2, it talks about this, this hiddenness, this veiledness of God's glory. And it says about Jesus, um, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, but rather he made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself, becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, so there's that humility in his ministry on earth. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place gave him the name that's above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So in Philippians, Paul is expanding on this theme even more, and he's saying Jesus before, uh, for all time, for all eternity, Jesus uh, is fully God, And his glory knows no bounds. He's the Lord of heaven and earth. He's, he's the, the everlasting God, the Lord Almighty. (coughs) Jesus is, has been forever God. So he's never changed. He's, he's eternally existed. He's been, he's the fullness of God. Jesus said, whoever's seen me has seen the Father. You know, Jesus is, is fully God in every sense. But there was a moment when God himself, in Christ, became what he previously wasn't. He didn't let go of being God, but he veiled the visible outward glory of his nature in humanity. So that when we looked at him, we saw a frail, ordinary human being, just like us. And it's really important to understand Jesus had to be exactly the same as us, but without sin. Otherwise, he couldn't ever fully represent us. Because if he's not the same as us, he can't die for humanity. But also we need to recognize that Jesus wasn't just the same as us. He has to be God himself. Otherwise, he's just a man dying for other men and can do nothing to help us. But if God is giving his life, through his son for us, then God can also save us. So there's this beautiful picture in scripture. It's quite hard to understand and get our heads around it, but we can we can know it to be true, even if we can't completely, un, completely explain it, that God is both fully God and fully man at the same time. But at this stage of Jesus' ministry, he's, he's veiling his glory. The day was soon to come. When crucified in weakness, he just looked like a defeated man. He looked like a man who was being, he was being ridiculed. And they were saying, if you're the son of God, get yourself off the cross. You know, his, The veiling of who he was was so complete at that moment that he didn't look. He looked like it was a defeat. He looked like he'd lost. And then he's put in the tomb. And after three days, God raised him to life. And at that point, all his glory is then seen. All God raised him, gave him the highest name above every other name. So this veiled, this veiling of his glory was only temporary, but we see it in this account as he's going up to Jerusalem, riding on a colt, yes, appropriate for a king, but understated, hidden, um, veiled uh, in weakness. And there's this beautiful, uh, way that Jesus conducted himself. And he still conducts himself like that today. God doesn't come to us with with um, uh, outward sort of attraction that we might just have an experience of him. He comes to us still as a servant-hearted king who would even wash the feet of his disciples. Amazing, isn't it, that God would... Stoop down to get hold of our lives and raise us up to be with Him. His love for us is so great that He's still, He's the, He is the lion, but He's also the lamb. And there's these two beautiful things there. In Revelation chapter 6 verse 2, we, we get this picture of Christ the conquering king riding forth on a white horse, which is the symbol of power and authority, a conquering king, no longer veiled, riding on a donkey's foal, but now, as it were, poised at the head of of God's armies, ready to bring uh, the purposes of God fully on the earth. We get that picture of him ascended in glory. Here, he's veiled, he's hidden, Uh, uh, taking on just human uh, likeness. And we did find that it says in the scriptures that even as they, he was riding into Jerusalem, it says uh, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they'd seen. So even they'd not quite made the transition to loving him for who he is. They're still drawn to him. They're still worshiping him for what he's done you know, God wants our hearts, yes, to rejoice at what he does for us, but he's more interested that we love him for who he is. So even if he doesn't do anything for us, he's still worthy of all our worship, isn't he? It's not like we're, we'll are we love you because you've done this. We'll love you for who you are. And that's what he's after. That's That's still what he's after. And if you're here this morning and you're not yet a follower of Christ, you're exploring, you're trying to, understand it all, uh, God may well impact you with powerful experiences of him in, in your life to draw your attention to him. He may well do that, but it's only so that he might catch your heart that you would love him for who he is. That's what he's after. He's after your, your, your heart connection and love to him. So we, we find that, it's, it's a lot going on there, but it, it's, it, we find that in almost the way he enters Jerusalem. We find that. And then the second thing we notice, um, even in the way he introduces what he's going to do, he says, go to the village uh, ahead of you, you'll find a colt, if someone asks you, uh, say the Lord needs it. And what he said exactly happened, didn't it? They went into the village, there was the colt, they untied it, someone said, why are you untying it? The Lord needs it, and they let them go. The detail of God's knowledge is vast, isn't it? Now, Jesus, when he was ministering, sometimes did say to people, um, remember when the father brought the boy to him who was being um, affected and convulsed many times, he said, how long has he been like this? Well, he wasn't pretending, but actually I do know, but I'll just ask the question. He wasn't pretending, he didn't know. There were many times when Jesus asked questions to give himself information. But yet, here, he knows everything that's going to be happening. He knows where the cult is, he knows what people are going to say, he knows what to say back to them, and he knows what the response is going to be. How does that fit together? Well, I think what it is, is in this instance, he's actually kind of, he's unveiling some of his glory, because he says, tell them the Lord needs it. And by using the, by saying the Lord, that means God Almighty, that he's, he's, he's identifying who he is. So he's now showing actually everything in the universe is laid bare to him. He knows everything about everyone, every situation, everything. He's saying the Lord needs it. When Jesus was ministering sometimes in this veiled way, um, and people were thinking, is he a carpenter? Is he the son of God? Is he the Messiah? They, they, they he would, he would ask questions uh, to gain information and it was then the power of the holy spirit working through this veiled flesh that brought the healing or the miracle or whatever he, his glory was 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 in some ways restricted in its scope not removed but restricted because he he constricted himself to work through being a human being so you hear you find it kind of bursting through and he knows everything that there is to know about this situation Here's the question, see, for us. Do we realize just how much detail and care and tenderness the Lord has about our lives? Because I don't know about you, but sometimes you can look at the world, just the world, never mind the universe, and think, there's a lot going on. And you think, does God really care about me? Does he know about my work situation, the longings of my heart, the things that concern me? My finances, my family, my friends, the, the things that trouble me, the things that I long for, the things that, the things that are, are kind of not really quite understood by me, but are nevertheless there in how I think and feel and behave as a, as a person. Does God know all that? Well, the Bible says even if a sparrow falls to the ground, he knows about it. Right? There's not one tiny little thing takes place in this amazing world we live in, but God does not know it thoroughly and completely. And that is exactly how he feels about your life and about mine. It's totally, completely laid bare before him. He even understands us better than we understand ourselves. The Bible says, before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely. Now, it doesn't just mean he knows what the word is. It means he knows why you're saying what you're saying, which I don't know about you, but many of the times I don't know why I'm saying what I'm saying or why I'm thinking what I'm thinking, We're very complicated beings, aren't we? But the Lord even understands to think about ourselves that we don't understand. He's able to unpick it, untie it, explain it. Every detail of our lives is laid bare before him. And not only does he care, but but he's also capable and willing to do something about everything that that might concern us or trouble us or that might be a subject of something that we think, well, what's going to happen about that? The Lord has it in his hands. He has a plan for our lives. Does that encourage you? He has a plan, a detailed, detailed plan about your life and mine. He knows every single thing that will ever um, come through our lives. He's got purposes, things he's designed for you to be and do and for you to go, people you're to meet, how your life's supposed to work. He's, he's got a perfect perfect outworking in mind, just as this was a perfect outworking. You'll find a colt, bring it here, untie it, they'll say this, answer this, it'll happen. That's how we should feel about his care of our lives. Lord, you've you've got it in your hands. It doesn't mean we're absolved of responsibility, so we just don't do anything, but it means that what we do, we entrust to him that it will all work out in the way God intends. And one of the great prayers we could pray almost every day is, Lord, I give everything and everyone to you. You kind of release surrender, surrender to God. Because He's the one who can orchestrate it and sort it out. And you know, we can rest in that. He didn't say to the disciples, Go and see if you can find a cult. they think, Well, where do we start? It wasn't they, He didn't panic them into doing something and they thought, well, I don't know how to do that. He told them exactly, go here, say this, this will happen. Total planned, in control lordship. There's a verse in the Bible that says, cast your cares on him, for he cares for you. We should regularly do that. We should regularly do that. Make that almost like a life prayer. Every day I give everyone, everything to you, Lord. I give it all to you. And, and just let, let his strong hands hold it for us. Let, let him hold it for us. Because the fact is, none of us can do anything about it anyway, can we? <laughs> the Bible even says, who of you by worrying can add one inch to your height? Why you would want to do that, I don't know. But who, who of you can, can make, and if you can't do that little tiny small thing, what is the point? Worry about anything else. Give it to him. Give it to him is what this passage says to me. He knows the details. He knows exactly what he's doing. And sometimes, when God brings prophecies to us, and they just resonate with us, and we think, "Oh, yeah, that that calls to my life. What I feel, I feel a witness for that. I feel God's showing me the way forward." He's basically just saying, "I've I've got this. Just trust me." position yourself so it's easy for me to do what I've said, but just trust me, I'm going to do this, 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 and this. That's what prophecy does. He's actually prophesying to his disciples. He's saying, you know, this is what you're going to find. And they obediently set out just doing what he's asked them. And they find that, it, sure enough, um, it works, and it's, uh, it's good, and the purposes of God... Uh, Unfold unfold through simple obedience Which is how it is for us The more we are simply obedient to simple things he asks us to do The bigger purposes of God actually get worked out Jesus ended up going to the cross To redeem humanity And a part of making that happen Was simple obedience of going to a village Untying a colt doing what Jesus asked. So every time we perhaps do something that seems like a small act of service, but it's done in obedience to Jesus, whatever it is where you're serving him in whatever way, and you might think, well, does my little piece of service that I'm doing obediently, does it really make a difference? Well, it did here, didn't it? So it will for us. If we obediently just share with someone, pray with someone, serve someone, serve the church, do this, speak that, just whatever he asks us to do. Somehow it all builds together into this bigger narrative. The next thing in verse 40 it says, um, some of the Pharisees are getting angry that people are starting to praise God, and they say uh, to Jesus, rebuke your disciples, tell them to be quiet, They're, 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 they're too loud, they're praising you too loudly. And Jesus says, I tell you, he replied, if they kept quiet, the stones will cry out. Now, that strikes me as a bit of a strange thing to say. The stones will cry out. Now, if I was to ask you to imagine, which is more difficult? Uh, for a human being to praise God or a lump of rock to praise God? What would you say is the, would be the harder thing to make happen? The rock? You think it would be harder? To our minds, I mean, that would be the obvious answer, wouldn't it? Because you think, well, a human being has got ability to think and reason and a, a tongue, a voice, so... I guess it's easier for a human being to praise God than it is for a lump of rock which has none of those things. It's just an inanimate inanimate object. But actually both are impossible. Without God both are impossible. Because in Ezekiel 36:26 it says, "I will give you a heart of flesh instead of a heart of stone." And what that was a prophecy about the, fo- the coming king, uh, coming to G- Christ, saying, as human beings, we are born with rock-like hearts. We're separate from God. We're dead to God. There's no spiritual life in us whatsoever, and there never will be. We are totally incapable, in the same way as a piece of, a, rock, um, a lump of rock on a beach or on a mountain. You look at it and you think, can that come to life? Obviously not. That's how we should look at ourselves and each other, spiritually, look at, to look at ourselves and say, could Ivan live and get to know Christ on his own efforts? Not at all. Impossible. Could Mike ever find out the truth about Jesus from his own efforts or from his own seeking? Not a hope. It doesn't matter who you look at, in the room? Or have you ever met people and you think, I think they'd be a really, I, I think they'd be a really good Christian. Have you ever met anyone like that? You think I can see them becoming a Christian. Well, no, you can't actually, because there's no hope on earth. They're ever going to come to know Christ unless a heart of stone is miraculously turned to a heart of flesh. If you know Jesus today, if you've come to know him as your saviour, that was as big a miracle as getting a stone to start singing god 's praises. It might, we might look different from a rock, but the dynamics are exactly the same. So Jesus is saying, "Look i 've given my disciples were worse lumps of stone spiritually they 're now singing. If you want them to shut up i 'll just get this lump of rock to start singing instead. Now either is just the same to me. They both need the same. Uh, miraculous work. So there's something about our salvation that should make us forever incredibly thankful, because we did not come to know Christ by just being religiously minded, or actually kind of having some sort of experience where we think, yeah, I think I'll look into that. Even if you do an Alpha course out of interest, you're going to come out of the Alpha Course with no effect whatsoever unless the Holy Spirit works in your heart. Turning it from rock to a soft, tender heart that actually, instead of living in ignorance from God and in um, isolation from God and actually in rebellion from God and going your own way, not God's way, being totally ignorant of spiritual truth to being filled with a knowledge of the Savior and his love for you and the fact that he's, he's able to bring you to God, reconcile you to God, that that kind of thing only happens by God's Spirit, and the Bible calls it being born again. That's why Nicodemus, who was this very religious man, scratching his head, and he's saying, how can someone be born a second time? And Jesus is looking at him thinking, no, you're not getting this. This is not born, uh, being born physically a second time. This is a spiritual birth that only comes from heaven. Doesn't come from earth. It doesn't start. John chapter one talks about um, God's children not being born of uh, of human decision or somebody's uh, desire to do that. Or uh, it's actually we're, we're born of God. If you know Jesus this morning, you've been born by God. He brought you to life spiritually. And the Bible says, how will he not, along with Christ, having done that, having brought us to Christ, how will he not then graciously give us all things? You know, we start the Christian life as completely, totally righteous, made new, impossible to be improved upon spiritually. And then we then go through our lives becoming more and more like who we actually are who he's made us to be. He's removed all our sins. They were all placed on Christ at the cross. And we then live out a life that helps us in our, even though our flesh is not redeemed yet and we still sin and we still have appetites and things that need, uh, that until Christ returns or we go to be with him, we, there's still the flesh we live in with its, with its, um, it's not redeemed yet, but our, our nature is completely transformed and righteous before God so we now live becoming more and more who we actually now are and that miracle of the new nature was given to us as a gift of a gift of righteousness was given to us when Christ uh, by his spirit brought us to new life and that was a gift so we should. our rejoicing now is, oh, look what I've achieved. Look how I've become a Christian. No, our rejoicing is, praise God, he saved me when I didn't know him. And not only has he saved me, he's cleansed me. He's given me a new nature. I now share in a righteous nature that actually, in its very essence, is biased towards pleasing God. I don't always please God because my flesh has to be controlled and told what to do and all the rest of it. But in my nature, I've been transformed. The rocks are now crying out. Isn't that encouraging if you know the Lord today? You know, you didn't save yourself. He saved you and gave you a gift, a gift of righteousness. You are righteous because of my death on the cross. Incredible. So the rocks are crying out. When we were singing earlier and praising God, it's like a room full of rocks (laughs) that were dead, now got a heart of flesh. Christ did that. Christ did that for us. And then lastly, in verse 41, it says, as he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it. This is a big thing. He wept over it. And he said, if you even knew had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. What, what, what's going on there? Well, I think what, what's happening is Jesus' heart is longing for, for this vast multitude of people to come to know him. The Bible says he's not willing that anyone should perish. So he can have genuinely a, a heart for a whole city. He can have a heart for a whole nation. And his, his heart is moved so much that he's weeping over people that the answer is there, but they're just not seeing it. They're just not seeing it. And he's moved, he's deeply moved, so he's crying and he's lamenting. If only you knew what could bring you peace. I think he stands like that over London. Can you imagine him up on Primrose Hill there, looking out, or up up Parliament Hill, looking out, weeping over London, longing, longing that no one would perish, but all would come to eternal life. That's why we as his followers, we as his those he's given a commission to, to go into all the world and preach the gospel, that's why we're praying tonight. God, we need your Holy Spirit to empower us, to equip us, to guide us, to lead us. If we need you to find a donkey for you to ride on, we certainly need you to guide us to who we need to share the gospel with. Where do we plant churches? How do we plant churches? How are we going to do this? Lord, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. And you've given us a commission. Your heart is for this city. You're not crying out of um, a sense of frustration that you can't do anything. You're crying because your heart of love is being poured out. And seeing all the suffering and the godlessness and the, the people walking around in darkness, just not knowing what life is all about. He's crying, he's weeping because he wants them to come to know the truth. You and I have an opportunity to, as it were, stand in also with Him when we pray, when we reach out to our work colleagues or our neighbours or people we might meet at random. We, we may not walk around openly crying all the time. If you do, sometimes that's good. But we might be inwardly feeling the burden of God's heart for people and thinking, how... Lord, if only they could know you, help me, help me to somehow do something that serves them on their spiritual journey to come to know you. That's what he's feeling. That's what he wants us to feel. And it's sharing in his heart. It's actually kind of sharing in his sufferings because he still feels that longing and he's, he's still longing, longing. He doesn't, he doesn't want anyone to perish. He's longing, longing that people would come to know him. It's a mystery, isn't it? How you know, you think God can do anything, but yet at the same time, he also needs us to partner with him in prayer. There are, there's also human responsibility. People have got to seek him, but they can't seek him unless he moves their hearts to seek it. It's very complicated. Uh, too much for my tiny brain. But I know this is true. God wants people to come to know him, and he wants to use us to bring the gospel to them. That's kind of all we need to know, really. So he's expressing his longing, and uh, another thing that I think that's really important is in verse 43, he says, uh, the days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and circle you and hem you in on every side, will dash you to the ground, and your children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. I think there's something really important when we preach the gospel to people and when we preach the gospel in, in our gathered Times. I heard the gospel for the first time when I was 17, around about then. And I can remember being struck by two things. First was how much Christ loved me because he died for me. It really impacted me that he died for me and I was, a, I, I, I was someone he'd focused his love upon. But it also struck me I was a sinner And I needed saving from hell, from a Christless eternity. I needed to be rescued. Christ's love doesn't mean as much if we don't understand what his love, what would have happened without his love. There's something about seeing we've been saved from something. Jesus isn't an accessory to enhance our lives. He's a savior to rescue us from a Christless Eternity where the wrath of God will be poured out on all the godlessness that's gone on since man turned his back on God back in the Garden of Eden. There is a hell to shun and flee from. And when I heard the gospel for the first time, I was both filled with a holy fear but aware of a holy love. And I think love and wrath somehow have to come together for us to really understand why Jesus had to go to the cross. He wasn't setting us a good example. He was unlocking a door for us to escape. He was doing something that every human being on the planet who's ever lived needs to be able to find a way through, to flee from the coming wrath, to find Christ, who is the only way of salvation. It's what the Bible says. There's no other name given under heaven by which men can be saved. This matters. This matters more than anything else in life. And if you, again, if you don't feel you know the Lord yet, if you've not received him into your life, look, don't, don't wait another day. You, you only know you've got today. And it matters. I can remember when I heard the gospel, I, 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 two weeks after I'd heard the gospel, I'd given my life to, I'd received Christ, given my life to Him, because I thought, this, I know this is true, and I've got, I can't wait. I can't think, well, I'll wait till I'm just thinking about it, you know, I'll wait till I feel it's the right time. No, today's the day of salvation. I've got no idea what's going to happen tomorrow, or even later today. we we we're, we're, we're vulnerable. We're vulnerable. That's why Jesus is crying over this city, saying, oh, if only, if only, if only you'd come to me. If only you understood what it is that, uh, because you've just not recognized the time of God's coming. We're surrounded by people who don't recognize who Jesus is. We just hear his name as a swear word as we walk by. They don't recognize the time of God's coming. Jesus has come that none should perish. That's what this church is taking out from here. That's what together as a church is here, we're playing our part in taking the gospel to people who don't know that. It's really important, isn't it? Maybe if you don't know him, just see this, if you don't don't know Christ yet, just see him kind of weeping over you. Not with tears of desperation, but tears of longing, saying, I died for you, I died for you. Come to me, come, come to me. I've got you in my my mind. I I want, I want to bring salvation. Like when he went to Zacchaeus, saw Zacchaeus up the tree, he said, "I want to come to your house. Salvation will come to your house today." There's something like when God meets us and confronts us with the gospel. You know, there's an intention on His mind. He's not giving us, He's not giving us, you know, an opportunity. He's actually saying, "No, you need to be serious about this." So there's some big things in this passage, aren't there, when we go through it and we see what's, what's there. So what I'd like us to do is let's stand together. I'm just going to pray through some of these things and trust that God will help us just to apply it. I think there's something beautiful about seeing in this context of Jesus riding into Jerusalem. What was it that accompanied him? loud voices of joyful praise. We haven't got a band anymore, but we, we've still got our voices. The rocks can cry out, can't they? The rocks can cry out. We don't need to, we don't need to be accompanied all the time. But I'm just going to pray uh, um, for us, and, and I pray, Holy Spirit, uh, that you would rest upon each of our hearts before you now, Lord. Was thinking about some of these things we've talked about, pray, Lord, for those who are feeling uh, that the details of their lives are carrying concern about those today. I pray, Holy Spirit, will you give those of us that applies to a very big view of the care of God for us? Help us to give to you everything. And everyone surrendering all our concerns, casting our cares on you because you care for us. I pray you'll lift burdens in this place today, Lord, that we would leave lighter because the correct burden is in the correct place on your shoulders. The government shall be on your shoulders. So right now, things that are troubling you, maybe ongoing things that you don't have any solutions to, just surrender them. Give everything, everyone to him. Come, Holy Spirit, lift burdens. Give us faith to trust you with our precious things that we carry concern over, people, situations, our own lives. By faith, we give them to you, knowing they're safe in your hands, Lord. They're safe in your hands. Longings we have, tears we cry. We give to you all, everything, and everyone. If you can navigate a donkey's path, you can navigate things for us, Lord. Holy Spirit. Pray for those, Lord, here this morning who um, are just kind of realising what a tremendous saviour you are. Just that we would never have found you had you had you not come looking for us and opened our hearts, changing it from stone to flesh. Lord, I pray you'll fill us with such a deep awareness how much we are loved by you. How much we are loved by you, that you would do all of that because you love us so much. Strengthen our hearts with truth, Lord. Thank you that you've rescued us from an eternity of uh, separation from you, from the wrath that is to come. We've been delivered. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your salvation. And I pray for those, Lord, still searching, as it were, looking. Asking, like Nicodemus, how can these things be? Lord, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would open people's eyes. You'd change hearts of stone to hearts of flesh. Even this morning, let there be new birth in this place. People coming to be awakened by the Spirit of God and, and knowing the gospel is true giving their hearts to Christ, receiving Christ into their lives. Bring new birth in this place, Lord, this day. I pray for a season of new birth, week after week here, Lord. I pray for a season of new birth, one after the other after the other. Miracles of turning hearts of stone to hearts of flesh. Lord, I pray that you'd make this a a, a place where the rocks would cry out. The rocks would cry out. Human hearts would be undone by your power and given beating pulsating uh flesh-like qualities that cry out your glory do some amazing miracles in this place lord the hardest hardest granite like rock you can imagine let it become like soft uh clay in your hands lord we're asking you to demonstrate your power in and through this church people's testimonies week after week would be this is what my life was like but now this is what god has done for me this is how i have found the savior lord we're asking you to do these miracles lord we're happy to serve you in whatever way whatever you want us to do lord guide us lead us give us wisdom planting churches preaching the gospel doing alpha courses serving the community whatever we'll do whatever Lord, but we want to hear many, many stories of my heart was like rock, now it's soft. Lord, we're looking to you to do that. And I pray for anyone here this morning that there would be even first fruits this morning, for people giving their lives to you because they see that you died for them and love them and their sins can be forgiven through your sacrifice. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I'm just going to give a few moments. If you want to pray, give thanks to God. If you want to start a song, let's just let there be some worship to the Lord. However that comes out, let's just give some few moments together. We've got we've got a few bit of time together, so let's do that.